The world was stunned this past week when the UK voted to leave the European Union. I mean, it was a shock because everybody said, oh, that's not going to happen. All the pundits and experts, oh, that's not going to happen. So, I mean, the market was really high the day before it happened. And after it happened, whoa! <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, loss of 3.6 on the Dow and a loss of uh, 3.4 on the uh, Standard & Poor's. I mean, that's a heavy hit. How many felt that hit? Anybody feel that hit out there? Okay, yeah. Yeah, if you got a 401k, you took a hit. I'm sorry to tell that with you. If you didn't realize that, I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't want to bring bad news to you. Uh, yeah, and it's just a reminder for us is that who provides for us? Is it you? Goes out to work? No. No. I mean, you, you could get sick and not be in work. Is it your investment specialist? Is he the one to put your security in? No. You don't find a good one, but you don't put your security in him. You put your security in Wall Street? Oh, mercy, no. Mercy, no. Who do you trust to provide for you till the end of your life? God, right? He promised He would provide everything that you need. So when things happen like this in our economy... Yeah, they're difficult. They're challenging. But God is your Father if you've chosen Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I was looking at CNN, and I thought it was very interesting. Uh, they have a fear and greed index uh, with the stock market. Now, over in the red, it's extreme fear all the way over to extreme greed. Uh, shouldn't it be extreme Fear all the way over to extreme peace? <laughs> no, it's extreme greed. And Wall Street knows what it's doing. They're just a bunch of greedy people, right? Well, it's interesting that they, they list the scores on this extreme fear, extreme greed scale. One year ago, it was lower than it is now, 34. One month ago, we were in the greed stage at 71. Uh, one week ago, it was neutral. And the day before all this happened, 75% greed. I mean, it was just a great market. Oh, take the risk, make the money. And the next day, boom, right back to fear. Hmm. How many would you say that you struggle with selfishness? Why don't you raise your hand? Anybody out there struggle with selfishness? Okay. How many of you struggle with being a little greedy? Anybody say, I'm a little greedy? Okay. All right. You know, <laughs> people do not want to call themselves greedy. They, I mean, yeah, greed is a problem. Everybody realizes that with uh, different surveys that have been done. Uh, Zogo did a survey and asked, what are the... Major problem for facing as a nation. First one was greed and materialism. The second one was poverty in the economy. Uh, another study, they, they asked a bunch of people, uh, which is the deadliest sin out of the deadly sins? They said, greed. There's nothing about it. Everybody knows that. And then the economists did a study and asked people, are you greedy? Only two out of ten people admitted that they were greedy. Nineteen percent. Nineteen percent. Yeah, we don't like that word really. We're not the Grinch that stole Christmas or anything. We're not the Ebenezer Scrooge. I mean, that's that's serious greed. But you know what? You are greedy, and you are selfish. Every single one. That's wrong, including me. Why is that? Well, again, uh, your natural nature is just prone to sin. And, and really, the, the soil is laid out of uh, selfishness. That's really kind of the key foundation. There's a soil of selfishness. What grows out of the soil of selfishness? 
Well, greed, that's a manifestation of selfishness. Envy, that's a manifestation of selfishness. Anger, that's a manifestation of selfishness. So your real problem is you're self-centered. That's the way you were wired because of the fall. And we have to look at that. Because when we don't think of ourselves as greedy, then we say, well, (laughs) I don't have that problem. But you do have that problem. I have that problem. It's natural for all of us. And of course, Wall Street says, yeah, extreme greed. They own up to it. Why don't we know open to our own uh, greediness? Well, today's takeaway is generosity is the antidote to greed. So that's what I want you to walk away with. Okay? Somebody asks you, hey, what did your pastor teach on? Uh, generosity is the antidote to greed. I think they'd be pretty impressed. <laughs> generosity is the antidote to greed. I mean, what do we do with the selfishness and and all this desire to take care of ourselves and make our lives, you know, an entertainment center. Well, it's generosity. It's when you step out and give something away. You let go of something. There's a lot of things, a lot of areas that is, where we can struggle with this. For example, our stuff. Our stuff. I was just talking to somebody who was, uh, you know, moving, helping someone move. You know, somebody who was older, and, and they just had incredible amounts of stuff, right? The older you get, the more stuff you have. <laughs> and then you get a storage locker, right, so you don't have to see it. <laughs> There's no way we can do this. We're going to throw it in the storage locker and walk away, make sure nobody sees us. Uh, yeah, your stuff. Or how about your time? I tell you what, I am greedy about my time. I am. Time's very important uh, to me. And that's where I can caught up in sin, not doing certain things that I should, because I'd rather spend my time here. How about your relationships? You can be greedy in relationships. I mean, if you're the type of person, you know, who everybody's wired differently in regards to their personality. But if you just keep close to your close friends, and when you come on Sunday, you guys get in a holy huddle, things like that. That's greedy, especially when we got out of service. When we got out of service, we have got to just open up and meet whoever might come by, no matter how long they've been attending Springbrook. And then in our terms of our relational network, we're not willing to let anybody new in. I'm filled up, you know. All my uh, relational <laughs> pegs are, are maxed. Uh, we have to have a spiritual openness to serve other people, uh, to be in relationship with other people, neighbors who need to know the Lord, people who are in need, people who are struggling. And and what I want for all of us to do this week is just listen to the Holy Spirit and say, God, how can I be less greedy? How can I be generous? Because, again, the most effective antidote to greed is generosity. That's what we're going to be looking at today as we conclude our study in the book of Nehemiah. Boy, it's been a a great ride. Nehemiah is just a powerful book. And today we're going to be looking at chapter 5. Now, what's interesting about this is that Nehemiah is not necessarily sequential. Sometimes it is, but... There'll be different chapters here and there summing things up. And right in chapter 5, Nehemiah puts a parenthesis, parenthetical chapter in here to tell about what happened during the building of the wall. Now, we know about the external threats. We know about Toyabaya and Sanballat and all these people who are ridiculing them and saying they're going to attack and threatening them. But in this chapter, we are going to see the most powerful threat to their task of building the wall. And it was an internal problem, and it was one, if unchecked, could have shut the whole project down. Shut the whole project down. Now you remember Nehemiah, 
he was a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. And God did all these miracles, and King Artaxerxes gave him lumber and all kinds of resources to take back. And so he went back to Jerusalem because he had this burden to rebuild the wall. It just hadn't happened in so long. The last time was 20 years ago. Everybody viewed it as impossible. But God gave Nehemiah the faith in order to take this challenge on. So he gets around the townsfolks there and he says, you would not believe what happened to me. I was this, and Artaxerxes gave me lumber, and he gave me this. And again, see that, that's, that's a power of testifying to God's power to other people. Because they go, wow, God did that? What happens? Your, your view of God gets a little more clear, right? Well, if God can do that, maybe he could help me in this situation. That's why we need to continue to tell people about how God has blessed us. So they started working on the wall. And they were working very, very hard. And you got to remember, this is an agrarian society. Most people are farmers. And what they've done is they have left their farms in order to build this wall. They're called to build this wall. And that means they're stepping away from their farms. And at the same time, there was a famine going on. See a lot of famines in the Bible, remember? Joseph, and how he said, hey, listen, we're going to have seven years of plenty and seven years of need. And so they saved up the grain and they got to the famine. But most people didn't do that. When a famine came, bottom line, a lot of people died because there wasn't enough food. There weren't enough resources. Agrarian society shut it down. It was really serious. So that kind of interesting draft bop, draft bop, <laughs> interesting uh, uh, backing to what's happening with Nehemiah. I mean, he's calling to these people to work. I mean, they didn't know it was going to be 52 days, right? He's calling them to finish this wall no matter what it took. And I tell you, building this wall was incredibly hard. I mean, we're talking about 14 hours a day, dusk, to sundown. They were working, working, working. Then they couldn't even go back to their farms, maybe get a part-time job or something to earn some money, pizza delivery. And they couldn't go back. So they had to stay in the city so they didn't have the resources there. They couldn't manage their crops if they had crops. These people were filled with generosity. What they were saying is, we want to serve God even though... It might cost us our livelihood. We're going to serve no matter how long it takes. We're going to get this wall done. Now that is generosity. I just, you know, we're coming up on our 20th anniversary in September, huh? Praise the Lord. And I haven't changed a bit. <laughs> Wow, it's been a great ride with God. And as I think back over the 20 years and just how people have been so generous, we've got Kid City back there, well, that has been staffed for 20 years. A children's program. I don't know, thousands of hours logged by faithful people who are generous with their time. Being on the worship team, that takes about 10 hours a week. Rehearsal and prepping and the service. That's been going on for 20 years here because God has provided generous people with their time. And you talk about giving to God. When you think about that, you go, I mean, 20 years, I didn't take time to figure it out. But I could say probably over... At least over $10 million have gone through this ministry, probably more, that people have sacrificially given to put up a building, to make disciples, to make an impact for Christ in this area. And I want to thank you. I am so full of thanksgiving for our family and family members who've moved away and that type of thing. 
it's just incredible what God has done here. He, he has great things in store. I tell you that. He does. I, I feel it. I, God is building my faith as we move toward uh, the future. So again, when you give to God, you are being generous. Well, let's take a look at uh, Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. So you have one group of the Jews you know, who are really upset with this other group of the Jews. And they're taking their issues to Nehemiah. For there were those who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. Remember I talked about the famine, that the crops weren't coming in and didn't have time to manage anything if they did come in. Uh, there was trade problems around that area. I mean, of course, everybody was kind of against Jerusalem, so they didn't get the resources they typically got. It was just a mess. There were also those who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. So they were getting a second mortgage on their house and their fields and their vineyards. Now, <laughs> you know, back in that day, uh, they were known for their wine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was one of the hallmarks of Israel. So our fields, our vineyards, and our houses... Because we want to eat. We're willing to give these things up in the midst of building this wall in order to glorify God. But you got to eat, right? Or you won't have any energy to get the job done. 5-4, and there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and on our vineyards. Now the king... Remember King Artaxerxes in Persia who let Nehemiah go? He was his cupbearer. So they were paying this uh, to the king. It was a lot of money. So they have all these financial needs to feed, just feed their family. And so they're mortgaging houses and uh, vineyards and fields. And they were just out of money. Now, why was this? Why was this happening? Well, the main reason is what's been happening in our world since the beginning of time. There's always been the gap between the wealthy and the poor. You know, that's why Jesus said the poor will always be with you. Because he knew that people were going to continue to be greedy. Right? Hey, they're always going to be there because, unfortunately, that's the way this sinful world works. There's some truth to the 1%. I read uh, a stat that said if you take the 80 top millionaires, the 80 top highest earners in the world, the net worth of them, and you compared it to 3.5 billion people who were in poverty. Eighty people had more than 3.5 million people had. Now there's something wrong with that, isn't it? There's something really, really wrong with that. And the thing about it, it's all over the world. You know, they're, you know critical about the communist uh, regime. But I tell you what, no matter what the system of economics or government, you're going to have the oppression of the poor. It doesn't matter. Communism, capitalism, it just happens naturally. It's because, it's because of just sheer greed. Sometimes, I know in my mind, you know, I kind of try to rationalize and you know, okay, we got the poor in Chicago, you know, and down in Lawndale, and, um, you know, how did it end up that way? And, of course, there's a lot of reasons, but I tell you what, if I was born into one of those families, I might just be a gangbanger. 
today. An old gangbanger. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, we grew up in this area and we feel a sense of uh, privilege and entitlement. And God could have put us in a third world country. So you better be thankful, right? Better be thankful for all God has given you instead of thinking, oh, I want more, I want more. Oh, thank you, God, number one, that I'm alive. Thank you, God, that I have food to eat. Thank you that I have a car and a house. and Yeah. Sometimes we think, well, the people who are poor, they, they didn't make the right decisions and all that type. The problem is systemic in our nation. And, again, we can't be bragging because God just chose us to put us in a particular family. Maybe so, I'm self-made. No, you're God-made. The only reason you're self-made you think that is that God allowed you to do that. God is a provider, right? So what these guys were doing who were wealthy, you know, they would come up. A guy who didn't have any resources, go to the guy that he usually gets money from and say, oh, that guy. Oh, the kids are hungry. And we've got to, I just have to have food. You mortgage my house? Oh, well, sure. We want to help you. We know life has been difficult lately with the famine. And so we really want to help you. So let me give you this amount. And the interest, let's just say 30%. 30% on your house. 30% on your vineyards. 30% on everything. What were they doing? They were price gouging their very brothers. Nehemiah 5. Five. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. So we're saying these people who are financially abusing us, they're our brothers. Our kids play together. We are a nation, and they are sinning against us. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have already been enslaved. They're actually, when they lost the house and lost the vineyard and the fields, they were taking their children to work off their debt. They were making them slaves. Sometimes they took slaves as girls, as second wives. And, ah, it's just horrendous. When you think about this, imagine if you were involved in this situation. You lived back in that day. And you went to your lender and they said, well, you know, we don't. We don't have any more resources that we can mortgage, so let's just take one of your children to be a servant. This was all going on during the wall. I really, it's been going on for a long time, obviously, but the building of the wall broke the camel, the straw that broke the camel's back because they were generously serving God on the wall and all this nasty stuff was going down. But it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. You know, people who are in poverty, they do feel helpless, right? Stuck in a culture and, yeah, they figure there's no way to get out of here. Some do. But, again, God to put me there. You know, I'd be in the same situation. It's so sad when you think about it. About how they were treating their brothers. Philippians 2.3 Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And it goes on to talk about how Christ emptied Himself. Hey! He's in heaven. You know? He's the Son of God, God Himself. And life can't get any better, right? And He decides to become one of us. What's the deal with that? Talk about a downgrade, 
a demotion, but he was willing to do it in order to pay the price for our sin. And so therefore, we need to be like Jesus. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Remember the the soil of selfishness and ambition is a big part of that. Or conceit. Some of us who have been Christians a while, we can become kind of arrogant with what we know and as we think about other people and are judgmental of them. No, 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 no. Again, it's only by the grace of God that you're as mature as you are and you've got to stop being arrogant about it because it's a gift from God. But in humility, there's the key word, count others more significant than yourselves. Who in your life have you put before yourself? Who's came along with something to do and you said, okay, there goes the agenda. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you fix that problem at your house. I'm going to help you by talking you through the, the family issues that you're having. I'm going to help you by giving you a check to encourage you. I'm going to help you. By giving you some of my stuff. Because I got so much of it and you have so little of it. When's the last time that crossed your mind? Well, friends, that's why we're here together. We're making disciples, right? Every morning we come together and talk about how can we be stronger disciples for Christ? How can we walk closer to Jesus How can we magnify Him? So, see, it's so insidious. It really is. Because we've got rationales built up for everything. And if we really let the Holy Spirit into our lives, what's going to happen is He's going to start to expose those rationales. Right? He's going to expose them. We need to be generous. Did you know that uh, the average house in 1950 had uh, 986 square feet? 986 square feet. Now, the size of family was 3.7% of people. Today, the size of the family has dropped. From 3.7 to 2.4. More than one person. And what's the average size of a house? Not 986 feet, but 2,700 feet. And we all have to ask ourselves the question, do I really need this size house? Is this the best usage of of uh, God's resources. Now again, there's nothing wrong with being wealthy. There's nothing wrong with having nice houses and nice things. But it's all about your attitude toward them. If you're viewing all these wonderful things as a gift from God that you're going to use to honor the body of Christ by having parties at your house and that type of thing and using your car to take people place and only give your stuff away, that's cool. But again, it's hard. The richer you become, the harder it is to be generous. People in poverty are much more generous than people who are on the upper echelon. And friends, whenever we think about purchasing something, whether it be a house or a car, an appliance or your favorite toy you've been waiting for? <laughs> the question you need to ask before you make that purchase is, because you're a Christ follower, He's your Lord, your whole life is His, right? Am I honoring God and giving to Him first? Before I make this decision, I need to ask that. Am I honoring God? Am I tipping God? A lot of people tip God, right? Eh, whatever's in the wallet here, right? That's tipping God. 
And that's not what God wants. He wants you to give as you are led to give a particular percentage. And He wants you to grow in that percentage. So, so when you come to big financial decisions, you've always got to take the big picture and say, God, okay, you know, what do you want to do with my resources? Am I honoring you? And then make that decision. Even with, with little things, you know. I mean, things that don't cost, you know, 1000 or 5000 things that cost maybe $100. You ask the question, God, is this what you want me to do? Am I honoring? As long as you're honoring to God and you've talked to Him and you've listened to the Holy Spirit, you're good to go. But if the Holy Spirit says, you know, yeah, I don't think so. You need to find a less expensive house or car, maybe buy a used car. I don't know. And start honoring me. Because I'm really frustrated with you that you're not giving to me when I've done so much for you. I've been so generous, God says. Please be generous toward me. Nehemiah 5, 6. I was angry when I heard their outcry. And these words. And that was an understatement, man. I mean, you know, smoke was coming out of Nehemiah's ears. You know, he was just so wrapped up with stress when everything came into focus. I said, this cannot be happening. If we're going to build a holy wall for a holy city, we need to have holy people. And we got a major problem here. we got one group of people abusing Others. So again, and this is the thing about Nehemiah as a leader. I mean, when you see an issue, you need to address it as a leader. Because if you just kind of let it go, there's going to be more pain later. I've been in that situation. It's not easy. But I've learned. You know, nip things in the bud. Deal with things quickly as you um, shepherd your flock. Then what it says and Jesus entered the... Oh, we're talking about righteous anger. All right? So this is righteous anger. And of course, think of Jesus. Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Pigeons? What are you talking about? Who sells pigeons? Walmart sell pigeons? Well, no. It was back in the sacrificial day. And, and, and they had to, first of all, uh, have a different currency... Uh, for the temple, and then they had to buy maybe a dove or a pigeon or whatever. And these guys at the temple were just like the wealthy in Nehemiah's day. And they just <laughs> charged way over what it should have cost. And Jesus came in and saw this, and it was sin. It was sin. And he got so angry. He overturned tables. We'll just go, hey guys, let me talk to you for a second. Um, This really is not right. You're really robbing people. So can we just get together and, you know, try to, to work this out? No! He threw the tables over because he knew that was the only thing that would get through to them. Now, this doesn't give us rights to turn over tables. (laughs) But it does say that when you're righteously angry about abortion, about racism, we all struggle with that, you know. About sex trafficking. About the redefinition of marriage. We can be righteously angry. But the problem is, is we speak before we think. And we say the wrong thing to the wrong people and it turns into sinful anger. It's hard to do righteous anger. (laughs) I mean, but again, we need to take action. When we see things that are not godly. Now this is a really wise statement 
Nehemiah said, I took counsel with myself. Now that's a verse you should underline. That's a verse you should write out. Whenever you are angry, take counsel with yourself. Angry with your wife. Angry with your kids. Go into another room and pray. I know you don't feel like it because you've got all this energy, but go and pray. Say, Lord, calm me down. Help me to deal with this issue in a godly way. It's going to be hard. I mean, you'll have to discipline somebody or whatever, but help me to have uh, to go about it in the right way. So take that tip this week, that biblical uh, counsel. When you're running, going into a tough uh, meeting at work or a uh, tough meeting, wherever you might be, in our conversation with one of the members of your family, pray, think, 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 think before you speak. And if you're the kind of person that just... You've got to learn to stop. Because you, you can't hear the Holy Spirit. Stop. <laughs> I took counsel with myself and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them. Now, this is really powerful. When you think about rebuilding a wall, you would think that he would get everybody together first and have this great assembly. Because at a great assembly, everybody showed up. That means they were in the midst of building the wall, and Nehemiah said, we have to talk. Everybody comes. Keep a couple guards in the wall. We have got to talk about... This terrible problem that we had. Now, he had thought through it. He said, I just got to get everybody together because it's throughout our family. So this is something else, a great assembly. And he said to them, we, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they might be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So he says, hey, listen, you're buying our own Jewish brothers as slaves, and God, in an awesome, incredible way, freed them from slavery in Egypt. And then, when they went into exile because of their sin, after 70 years, God freed them again. This is our family. This is our nation. We've been enslaved for so long, and now you're enslaving other people in our family. It doesn't make any sense. You know, it's interesting is how they responded. They were silent and could not find a word to say. Ever had that experience? When somebody's confronted you, or you've confronted somebody, and you just lay it out. You've hurt me. Uh, I really, uh, I've been struggling with this. And this is what you did to me. And you're just silent. You got no comeback. No justification. No rationale. They were caught red-handed. I mean, they were convicted. They said, oh, wow. You know, God really... Got a hold of them. That's important to confront people in your life who are sinning. You know, Nehemiah goes directly to the source. He doesn't tell 50 other people, oh, you believe what those wealthy builders are doing, pass it on. No, he didn't do that. He didn't gossip, didn't slander. He just got up there and said the truth. And you have an issue with somebody else in this church. Talk to them. Matthew 18. Talk to them. If they don't listen, bring two witnesses. Right? Forget the gossip trail. That's Satan's tool to use against us. Luke 12:15, And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life is not consistent in the abundance of of his possessions. 
And we've got to continue to work on that because we're surrounded by a world that's telling us to build our self-esteem on our job, on the type of house we have, other possessions, uh, experiences, vacations. And we shouldn't, <laughs> we really got to work hard to listen to God. Because again, that, that soil is just ripe. That selfish soil is just ripe. Nehemiah goes on, So I said the thing that you're doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of God to prevent the taunts of the nations and our enemies? I mean, people were not happy with the Jews. They were looking for any type of ammo that they could throw at them. And this, <laughs> this is golden ammo. Oh, yeah, you guys, you say you love God and you love each other so much. But you're selling your children into slavery. Isn't that great? Friends, wherever you go, you are representing Christ. And people are watching you. And, and, you know, if you in any way are taking advantage of someone in your life, you know, going on their good graces and beyond, you've got to stop it. If you're a businessman and you're taking advantage of people, well, that's a tough one, right? I mean, I've got cash flow. And that, but, but again, the bottom line is that as you live your life, your neighbor should see a different person, a strange person next door who does things in a different way and they are full of love and they're full of joy. And they go, hey! What that? Can that be said of you? And friends, if it can't, I would encourage you to repent and start moving in that direction. Because the main reason you're on this earth is to glorify God, to be an advertisement for God, and lead people to Christ. Nehemiah 5.10 Moreover, and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. I mean, he was such a strong leader. He said, it's got to stop. Now, Nehemiah had built up a lot of uh, you know, uh, chips in, in the people's minds because he was a great leader and they respected him. And so because of his integrity, he was able to say these things. God spoke through them. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you've been exacting from them. Well, that's a lot of money. <laughs> Remember Zacchaeus, right? He was a tax collector, and man, Rome gave him the ability to collect their taxes plus anything else he could tax. And he was a creative guy. He was the best tax collector around. He was one of these wealthy Jews. Jesus Christ came into his life, showed him his sin, and Zacchaeus repented. I think he paid half back of all that he had taken, or gave half of his money away, that is. He gave money back and then took half of his money and, and gave it to people who were needy. You see, if you want this really to ignite in your life, you need to grow more and more closer to Christ so that the Holy Spirit can point these things out. What I want you to do this week, if you're interested, is just be praying to the Holy Spirit and asking the Lord, show somebody who's needy. Show somebody that I can help. And I will make that a priority this week. Other things will fall under that agenda. But, but I'm going to do that. I want to do that, Lord. Because I want to be generous. Because you've been so generous with me. And they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as they say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. <laughs> Nehemiah didn't have a lot of confidence in these guys, right? Uh, yeah, we talked about it. But now I want you to swear. So you don't go back on your word. He was a skillful leader. 
I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all of the assembly said, Amen! And praise the Lord. And the people did as they promised. That is a revival. That is God outpouring His power and grace and love that all these wealthy people would do exactly what Nehemiah said. Don't we want revival, huh? Revival in our own lives. Revival in our church. Revival in our nation. It always comes through prayer. That's the way revival starts. Now, I love how he kind of shakes. You know, they had robes and they had different pockets and things of that nature. So he's pulling out the pockets and stuff like that. Yeah. It's kind of like a curse dance. <laughs> I mean, he was showing them how serious he was. He was saying, God is going to come down on you. God is going to visit you if you do not fulfill your command. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Nehemiah, we don't have time to get into this, but Nehemiah was a very uh, generous man. He was the governor over Jerusalem for 12 years. 12 years. And he had a lot of perks as the governor, and he could take advantage. He'd get this huge food allowance that uh, could be used. But because he was generous, he said no to that. Who knows how much money and uh, resources he brought from Susa. Compared to the king, that must have been a good salary. So he saved that. But he was probably the wealthiest. He, he was probably the wealthiest man. But still, he was so generous. He had 150 people for dinner every night. Can you imagine that, ladies? 150 people every night. And he paid for it. He could have taken it out of the taxes. But he didn't want to burden the people. And, and when, he was working on the wall. You know, He wasn't standing up in some <laughs> platform yelling directions. He was working. His servants, the servants of the king, were working. They were fully engaged. What tremendous leadership. And he, he lent money to other Jews, but he didn't charge any interest. The Bible is very clear about the fact. God says, don't charge interest to your Jewish brothers. And that's exactly what they were doing. Don't enslave your Jewish brothers. And that's exactly what they were doing. And Nehemiah brought it to light. So, let's just take a moment here. It's always interesting to talk to people after the service and say, wow, you were speaking just to me. I said, no, that was the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I'm not that clever. <laughs> just bow your heads for a second and say, okay, generosity is the antidote to greed. And today and as you go out the week, just kind of do a assessment of your heart in terms of how much greed is a part of your life. And again, He's not going to show it all to you, but have Him show you one area. And then pray that you might, you might be able to run across someone that God would bring your way that you can show love to. You can teach, you can, you can, you can treat them like they are more important than you. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Ruffers, come, ushers, come forward, and we'll do the offering. Hey, listen, we had a great time at our movie night. On Friday night, uh, we were viewing uh, the movie, uh, the Lego movie. Oh, that's, that's a great one. And uh, it's just fun. You know? I think we had about, uh, I don't know, 15 kids there and 12 adults. But you know, the problem was is that there wasn't any kids that were brought by their neighbors. You see, when we do these outreaches during the summer, uh, you got the movie night, Splash Day, 
you know, all kinds of fun with water outside on July uh, 22nd. The reason we do it is so that you can invite your kids' friends or any kids that you're aware of, you bring your grandchildren, whatever, in order that they might have a great experience. They, they might say, hey, this church, they do fun things. So I'm asking you moms especially. Now, I tell you what, July 15th, Zootopia. And I have seen this movie, and I give it five stars. Especially the sloths. Anybody seen it? <laughs> you got to come out. But more importantly, you got to bring somebody with you. Yeah. You can pray for me as I go on vacation. Pray that I'd be refreshed. Uh, pray that I would listen to God closely. Uh, pray that we would rejoice over my son's wedding. And uh, I love you guys so much. As I stand up here and pray, I just look across you know, the room and I'm just so thankful for you. And uh, pray that I would be renewed and rejuvenated and for my wife Lori and Thank you so much for who you are. Would you guys stand as we worship? Their righteousness. I dare not. 